And I think that forgiveness is a process. I think that you have to go through a process like grief in a sense, and everybody's is different. So I don't think it's a point in time because somebody's timing could be very different from someone else's. Um, but the sooner you go through it, the quicker you end up on the other side, um, which is then just a, an awesome relief, I think. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Dr. John Duffy, and I um, so appreciate you protecting some time to spend with myself and my uh, guests. Um, my guest today is Kara. Um, I don't know whether to think of you as a, as a new friend, a colleague, um, a parent who's just really, really interested in parenting, or all of the above, but welcome, Kara. Well, thank you so much, and I, I like all of the above. The <laughs> we'll go with all of the above. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I think you've got a really interesting story to tell, kind of a fascinating one, about um, you know how you came to be. Kara is uh, an expert in parenting and a parent coach at this point, um, but, but there's been a journey that's brought you to this point. So why don't we start toward the beginning of the journey? How did this start for you? Um, well, I've always been interested in families and parenting and having a cohesive family. And I think that stems from the fact that I come from a divorced family. My parents were divorced when I was five, um, which seems like eons ago. It is. I'm that old. But um, my mom and dad were very young when they got married. My dad was in law school, and my mom said she was going to go buy a pack of cigarettes and left. And she left us for over a year. And it was devastating. My to, goodness. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yet what I found is that my mom is the most amazing mom in the entire world. So I think that my journey from being, you know, what some people could label as an abandoned child, because I thought my mom was dead and gone for over a year. Um, has you really did. I mean, as far I, as you knew, you had no idea where she was. You were so young. Yeah, I was. Yeah. For over a year, she wow. was gone. No Cara. one, no one knew where she was. She left with my now um, stepfather of 45 years. So she's been married for 45 years. Um, but this, it, you know, shouldn't have happened in a family that was um, like mine. You know, yeah. they were both educated. You just wouldn't have expected it. Felt very intact and solid, stable. Yes, and mm -hmm. they came from really good families, Irish Catholic families, and, you know, but they were very young, and um, they just weren't meant to be married. Well... From the time I was five till probably the time I was 18, my birthday wish every year was that my parents would get back together, mm. even though they were happily married to other people. And um, I think that what I really um, wanted was a cohesive, connected family. Got it. So my goal in life was really to have a connected, cohesive family. Do you think that was your goal from the time you were very, very young? I yes. Mean, yeah. I yeah. definitely do. And what's interesting is now that I've done a lot of self-study and a lot of self-work, I've always had a cohesive, connected family. Mm. I, it was right in front of me. Yeah. I have the best parents in the world. They didn't have to be together to be the best parents. And they never said a bad word about each other. And so while... That's I, amazing. It I, is. Right? I, I, we probably both worked with a lot of divorce situations and... That, that rarely, rarely happens. Rarely happens. Yeah. And the ego's you know, often present, and mm -hmm. the person who suffers is the child. And I feel like when I look back at my life, it was so rich. I had grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and my father and my mother who all 
you know, um, just wanted to have a relationship with me. It took a long time for, for me to realize that. And while I was in my teenage years, I think I particularly felt like I didn't have a tribe. Like my dad maybe had, um, you know, a girlfriend who didn't necessarily always see eye to eye with me. My stepdad, he was young and sometimes might say when I misbehave, you should just go live with your dad. And mm. so it always made me feel like, oh, am I really connected? Right. I really was. People say things that they don't mean. Um, and so that's why I really wanted to get into this work, because I feel like when I see children of divorce, they're just, um, they're such great kids, and most parents want the happiness for their child and the joy, but sometimes they let their own stuff get in the way. Right. Um, and so for that child's sake, for that person to become a thriving adult in the world, I just would like to help them to get back to knowing how to make that connection and, and not let their ego and their own stuff get in the way. I find that even with parents who are married, sometimes their upbringing and their ego get, get in the way. So that's really what's brought me um, to, to this place. And then along the way, I've had wonderful teachers like the Parent Coaching Institute and you and the book um, that you wrote and the work that you've done, John, have probably changed many people's lives, including my own. And um, it's so pertinent to my own family life and the work that I do that I can't thank you enough for yeah. some of the things that you've you've taught all of us, well, but especially you, me. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I can see where your origin story really informs where you are now. Now, if I were listening to these first few minutes, I would think, Wow, this Kara is a very forgiving person because now I've heard about a mom who left for a year, disappeared, <laughs> uh, stepdad who at times would say, you know, why don't you go and live with your uh, with, with your mother, um, and and parents who divorced, you know, very young, and it wasn't the most common thing in those days. Yes. Um, you know, are we missing something? Because in in particular, the part that I think people are reacting to that I'm reacting to strongly is. You were without your mother and unsure of her whereabouts, of whether she was drawing breath for a year. Mm -hmm. And and in the same breath, you, you're saying, I, I have the best mom in the world. Right. Help, me, help me reconcile that. So um, talk about being available. My mom is the most available grandparent. She texts my children. She, um, The work that I'm doing as a parent coach, she couldn't be a better cheerleader. Um, she just really is a wonderful um, supporter in the life of myself, my sister, my brother, and my our children. Um, so I think that there's many parents who are might be around, you know, physically right. for many years who aren't really there um, emotionally. So my mom needed to get her stuff together, and she left, and she didn't do it appropriately for sure. And it sounds horrid. It sounds, wow, abandonment. This right. mother actually left a child, said she was going out to buy a pack of cigarettes, and never returned. And believe me, John, I beat her up for years. Every time I could get the chance, I, I would either you know drop a hint or a reminder of what she had done to me. But in and I can't blame you, right? Right. I mean, right. I can imagine you were angry and confused. And, you know, I, when I think, when I picture a five-year-old, you know, yeah. I think, wow, that's, that feels so cruel. Right. Okay. And, but all it really was, was myself saying to, to me, I'm unlovable. I'm not worthy. So the minute I forgave her, I realized how worthy I am. And my self-talk changed and who I was as a mother changed. And um, so really for myself, 
is why I for, you know forgave her and for her she she was 22 years old she didn't know any better I mean she isn't the person today that she was then and so you know I think we can get past a lot if we think about that and the person she is today is so incredible that I would have missed so many things and yeah. um, the other great thing about this is my dad and I were together and he went to, to law school, had a full-time job, and was the most available parent to me during those times. So, um, and I have a close, super close relationship with him and, and always have. And so that's what I mean by my life was enriched because of that, you know, one thing that sounds so terrible, wow, you were abandoned, but really so many great things came from it. I can hear, I can hear that um, the gratitude um, in, in, in your voice, um, that you've got this extended family mm. that, that cares for you. And I think a lot of, uh, of kids don't necessarily consider, um, especially when we're young, our extended family, how much it means to us. And this idea of your dad, you know, I'm thinking like at the time, your dad is effectively suddenly a, a, a single father. Mm-hmm. Um, how, you know, he really didn't have a, a book to follow about right. how to do this. Um, and and that, that, you know, the, that you have fond memories clearly of that time is striking to me right. that it wasn't just crisis you right. know did he, did he make it did it did he make it fun did he make it feel safe yeah well safe in in whose book I mean <laughs> my grandparents both sides you know um, my mom's family was very involved with my upbringing and so was my dad's but my dad was young and he bought a motorcycle and it was a purple motorcycle because it was my favorite color and he would put me on the back of it and my one grandmother would chase him down the street saying get her off the back of the bike and my other grandparents we had a I never knew why we had a park in this certain area um, to hide the fact that we drove up on the motorcycle and um, <laughs> you know his sister was was very good to me she had five kids and um, she often picked me up with her five children from um, preschool and you know because that was about the time that that they left and I think she even took us to see Bambi um, during that time and I was so hysterical in the movie she had a you know have all of us the five of her kids and myself leave the movie because when the mom got shot you know I thought that well I was going through it again my mom's dead and my you gosh, know Cara. and did you believe your mother was had died yes I I do have that memory and then I've since looked at some report cards and things that people wrote about me and yeah they, they you know I would tell people my mom was dead and then suddenly she came back she called me and she, what was that like? I mean, to, to just to know, oh, she's alive. She's out there. Um, she she called my grandmother's house and said, um, you know, I'm coming to get you. And I just remember that was my first memory of crying tears of joy because I remember being so happy that my mom was actually alive. And um, I think she felt, you know, my dad w- would say now that I'm, you know, older. Why he never said anything bad about my mom is because they didn't really have a great marriage. He would, they would each take turns watching me, right? You know, and so, and he said he was at law school sometimes when he wasn't, and you know, he's instead of he could have really used this, right? An egomaniac would have said, "Wow, your mom left, and she's a terrible person, and I'm the hero dad." He's absolutely never, could have leveraged yes, that so easily, right? Never mm-hmm. ever once did that. When my mom came back, I did live with my dad um, for a while longer. 
my dad was um, comes from a very uh, he's a lawyer and his family has prominent lawyers and my mom really um, felt like it would have been a Kramer versus Kramer situation and you know I saw that movie and had to leave because <laughs> it was very rele- relevant to, to my situation right I, I hadn't thought about like how many movies you know <laughs> really revolve around these themes of uh, losing a parent or being separated from a parent yeah. and you know and I can imagine at around that time in your life yeah there were theaters you had to walk out of that's a that's an interesting kind of metaphor yes. for life how careful you had to be I, um, I'm trying to get my mind into the into the brain of a six-year-old who thinks her mother is gone and realizes my mom is back you know um, I, I picture uh, joy I also picture maybe some element of ambivalence uh, confusion you know where have you been um, was was this as as odd as it sounds mm. I think there was no ambivalence because I believe that I felt what was so devastating to me is I felt so connected to my mother. I just remember, and I've watched her with my own children with great pride. She's such a loving, nurturing person. Yeah. You know, there was probably, I think, a lot of substance abuse, which is what drove most of this, you know. Um, So... I, I don't forget how young they were, right? Yes. And yet they were still in the midst, of, in the throes of some of this post-adolescent stuff yes. while they have children. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I think that that came into play. And, um, you know, seeing someone that's that loving was just so um, rewarding for me to have that back in my life. Then she brings a sister for me, right? Right. And, and I'm very close with my sister. She's my best friend. So, you know, it, it's it's all good in the end. I it, can tell. It, yeah. Would you mind sharing with us just a little bit about the process of forgiveness? Because, you know, I think it's one of those things um, that so many of us are so reluctant to do. We hold on to the vitriol for so long. And I can imagine that if you were different, um, that you could have spent a lifetime stuck in that one-year narrative without ever branching out, without ever growing, without ever becoming a a coach to other parents. Um, And something about that forgiveness piece in my mind freed you up to be Mm -hmm. the parent that you are and the and the coach that you are to other parents um what was it like to go what was the process like of forgiving her so I think um sometimes you get stuck in a loop and in a downward spiral when you're in a non-forgiving state I think that when you look at your overarching goal And so if you really have a goal, and mine, as I mentioned to you, was to have a cohesive, connected family. So how am I going to get that without having, uh, you know, or denying my children access to a wonderful grandmother? Right. Um, And so I think that forgiveness is um, a, a way to allow for good things to happen. And if you don't, you're just stuck in that downward spiral. Of course, I could say, I was abandoned, I'm unlovable, I'm insecure. And I think most people would think of me as caring, strong. Um, I, I'm, I am a connector. People have given me glue um, to say, you, you know, you're, you're the glue that holds the family together. I've gotten that like three different times for a gift. So I, I could have taken one path and gone down a negative road. Absolutely. And I decided to make positives out of my situation. And it's not Pollyannish. It's true. Right. I had the love and joy and connection from so many other people, including my mother and father. So I'm lucky. I'm blessed. Um, do, do you kind of um, 
like the idea of it taking a village? Do you, did you? Because I can tell there were you, you had many parents. Mm-hmm. You, you, you had your father. You had an aunt, and I suspect there are others who contributed in raising you. Um, to watch you describe it. It doesn't feel unsafe. I mean, even the back of the motorcycle, which I think <laughs> some people would, obviously somebody thought was uh, not the safest situation for you. On the whole, um, you don't seem like somebody who was an unhappy child. No, I and I think it's because really my mom and dad did love me. They didn't say bad things about each other. Everybody could have taken a terrible path. My grandparents and aunts and uncles from my dad's side of the family, every time I saw them, said, how's your mom? They never said, what's that terrible mother of yours doing? It was a a village, definitely. A village of, we're going to rise above whatever, you know, negativity happened, whatever terribleness happened, because everybody is able to forgive, Mm -hmm. you know, and it for the benefit of me. I love that so much. I think we ought to pause on that for a second because, you know, we we work with these messy family Mm -hmm. situations and most families have some mess, right? um, That's that's part of what's wonderful about a family. That's part of what's difficult about a family. That's part of the growth, I think, in families. And, And we can get bogged down in fear and judgment and ego. And mm-hmm. we could say, how's your awful mother doing, you know, right. Cara, you know, and, and, and really ruin it for you because she's part of you, you know, mm-hmm. and and um, and we sometimes as adults forget that. Um, and uh, so for anybody listening who's in a messy family situation, be really wary and conscious of the idea that you don't want to badmouth a parent to a child ever, no matter what the circumstances. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that child obviously identifies with one of those parents. Sure. So you're basically saying it to them. They're protective. It's natural to be protective. I didn't want to hear that. I have my own, um, you know, axes to grind against my mother for what happened. So I don't need anybody else to. Mm-hmm. And if I can forgive her, you know, certainly they can. Yeah. And so, um, and to, to support her is ultimately supporting me. And so I think that parents should be wary. And when you do badmouth the other person, you're just um, uh, closing a whole world for your child. Let your child make their own decision about how to relate to that other parent. I've coached parents in that, you know, very regard. And um, I feel like, you know, one mom came to me specifically to say that her husband was keeping her children from her, even though she had visitation rights and they would choose to remain with him on a scheduled date that was her schedule. Got it. And I said, well, how are you approaching them? And she said, well, I say, you know, I miss you so much and I just wish you were with me and you're really supposed to be there and you're, it's your turn to be at my house. And I said, well, how do you think they are responding to that? And they, she said, well, they still stay at their dad's. And I said, well, wh- how can we do something a little bit different? She said, I know. How about if I just go over and hug her on the day that she's supposed to spend the night at my house? And I said, brilliant. Let's try that. Well, wouldn't you know, the more she did that, now her daughter's coming to her on those given days and spending the time on Tuesday that she's supposed to. And so instead of you know, making her feel guilty and shamed and saying, well, your dad's a bad guy anyway. He's just unduly influencing you against me. We went about it, you know, kind of through the back door and it ended up working a lot better. I love that story so much, right? I mean, because um, 
in, and it doesn't have to be a divorce situation, yes. does it? I mean, no. right? Because I, I'm, I'm trying to, I, the, the, my, the closest corollary in my mind is a married yes. couple that I work with, but still there's this, there's this contest that yes. they're involved in, right? And so um, one might be more generous financially and the other might, might say, be a little more lenient. And instead of just showing their kids, I love you, you know, right. it didn't, uh, and I love you independent of mom and dad and together with mom and dad, right. you know, like, and, and, um, and in, in a way to hear you tell the story, it feels like, of course, it's so simple right. and yet we so easily forget, right? right? You know, ego takes over and this fear that we're going to be alone, we're not going to have our kids with us. Um, and if we can just keep that stuff at bay, my gosh, we, it's pretty simple to make the right decision, right? A hug, right? right? You know, a hug. unconditional moment. Right. And the child's like, okay. Mom's right. safe. I get I can go to her. Right. She's yeah. not shaming me. She's not right. backing me into a corner. Um, you know, she's allowing. Right, right. And it's from that comes so many good things. And and we make those little simple choices every single day, but the result is so vastly different. Mm-hmm. And it can make such a you know, a great relationship or for a terrible relationship. Absolutely. And for a great a child to feel good and confident or for a child to feel bad and shamed. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and would you say that the way you were parented um, directly affects your coaching? You know, it, it, are your parents, um, despite the hardships of yes. the story, are they the mo- are they a model for you know what you what you espouse mm. to people? Well, they're both very empathetic. Mm-hmm. They're both uh, amazingly bright people. Um, I would say that my mom comes from a background and is someone who is emotionally outward. You know, she expresses things. She says things before she should. Right. Um, my father is the antithesis of that. He maybe should be more expressive and is reluctant to share emotion. Um, he always shares his, uh, his emotion of love for me, though. He always says, I love you, and always has, and, you know, inscribes books to me that I'll keep forever. Um, so he's emotionally available in a positive way, but if there's ever strife or anything uncomfortable, he is uncomfortable with the uncomfortable. My mom makes things uncomfortable. So um, I think in my coaching, and as a person, I probably have a little bit of both those things. I'm okay with the uncomfortable and I try to say it in such a way that mm, isn't emotionally charged. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Um, and um, what what an interesting set of models they are, right? Yeah. Because it's not all, you're not just saying this was perfect, mm-hmm. right? You're coming from an admittedly imperfect situation and extracting the good from it, right? right? Um and um, you're, you're, in a way, kind of a walking proof <laughs> of, of, of a really interesting parenting situation, you know, um, that, that, that fascinates me. The, the love that you express for both parents, despite some flaws on both sides, mm-hmm. is, is striking to me and, and really lovely and m- must speak to an element of availability from both of them, um, despite being imperfect in their ways. Right. Yeah, definitely. And and something about the uncomfortable that I want to say, I said, I'm comfortable with the uncomfortable. I don't know that anyone's really comfortable. Like I've had to say things and go into situations and I'm sick to my stomach and it isn't, it isn't easy, but sometimes it needs to be done. And so, you know, to get rid of that fear, right. 
And sometimes whether it's even in a coaching situation or my own parenting situation or with one of my parents or with my husband, sometimes we just have to say something. That And the way we say it is so important. And so even though you're uncomfortable, you can try to, to say it with as much compassion and, and empathy and, um, you know, uh, non-charged, I guess. Sure, yeah. sure. Can you, can you think of an example of that in your life or, uh, you know, in your coaching where you, you really kind of have to be and present in the discomfort and address it directly? Um, well, in my coaching, I think that it comes up often. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I want to lead a horse to water, right? So I don't necessarily want to say, well, you have three choices and here's what I would do. Right. Um, you know, I listen to what they're saying. And um, if they're uncomfortable with uh, a suggestion, I try to figure out what their strengths are and make them comfortable in order to put something into action. Um, in family situations, I think that, you know, there's so many of them that I've had to, you know, ask somebody about forgiveness. Like, you know, you can't come to Christmas because you are mad at so-and-so, you know, that isn't going to work for all of us. How do you think that that makes the rest of us feel? And it isn't that it's easy for me. It's just to me, there's no choice but to, to have that conversation. Yes. Right, right, right. Um, do you think of your own story frequently? Like I'm thinking about forgiveness. And, um, you know, we both probably deal with that issue in families and the reluctance, right? The, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm angry. I'm Mm -hmm. hurt. I'm upset. Um, having been without your mom for a period of time and and so worried and so scared, um, it it must be hard to impress you with a situation that isn't forgivable. You know what I mean? Yes. I think everything's forgivable, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, it, it, it depends on what your goal is, where you want to go. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to get to a, a higher level and if you want to be beyond the incident that happened, and some incidences are terrible, but in order to move on, you either have to forgive yourself or forgive someone or forgive the past, maybe not the person, but you know what happened so right. that you can move, move ahead. I think that's really important. And I, I fear I was presumptuous a couple of moments ago. I asked what the process of forgiveness was like. And now I'm wondering for you and whether for your clients even, it's a point in time as opposed to a process. Which do you think? Or, or is it somewhere in between? I think it's somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that forgiveness is a process. I think that you have to go through a process like grief in a sense. And everybody's is different. So I don't think it's a point in time because somebody's timing could be very different from someone else's. Well put. Um, but the sooner you go through it, the quicker you end up on the other side, um, which is then just a, an awesome relief, I think. And, you know, um, my my story is one that I don't often tell. Um, sometimes if it's pertinent in a coaching situation, I might tell a little dabble of it for the poetic principle just to have it relatable to someone. But... Um, you know, I, I think that I've, I've really become on the other side of it. And, and I had to tell my mom, you know, I'm sorry that I, that I often throw this up in your face. And I just want you to know, I forgive you wholeheartedly. And I said that to her a couple years ago and we cried on the phone and it was great because I forgave her, you know, um, by having a relationship with her, but it was always hanging over, at least in my head, you know? Yeah. And so to say it was also cathartic. Yeah. For me. Do, do, do you still need those moments with her? 
Like I, I sense a little bit of emotion even in this moment. You uh, know, um, do, yeah. do you still need to, to to have that moment with her on occasion where you are explicit and to and talk about it? Yeah, definitely. I yeah. mean, I think that she she knows, and we've had those, and we always come out in a better relationship, you yeah. know, and or stronger relationship when we have those moments. You know, she's she's just um, terrific. I love that. And I, I, the, the concept of forgiveness is not something I've addressed on this podcast before as I think about it. And yet it's so critical to relating and connecting. And it, um, to choose not to is really choosing like to disconnect, right. period, right? Um, you seem liberated in a way. Yeah. You, you seem joyful in, <laughs> in, in, in a way. And, and you're telling me this, uh, this harrowing story, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm thinking... Kara seems like, you know, um, a very happy person. Is that, am I reading you accurately? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And it is liberating. And, and, um, and I think that uh, if you're not in a forgiving state and in, in you're in a state of anger or sometimes it's anxiety, for, you know, being angry manifests itself in all kinds of ways that are usually negative. You know, sometimes you have to go through the anger and come sure. out the other side. But if you're going to be stuck, mad about the same thing for years and years, you're going to find that you're either not sleeping or you're anxious or other relationships are failing or things such as that. So it's just not worth it. It's uh, so much better to be happy. <laughs> oh, so much better. Um, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, um, I, I decided to name this podcast. I, I took my name off of it and, and decided to name it Undo Anxiety because I realized every single time I sat down with somebody, we were talking about situations that created undue strife, undue anxiety, unnecessary suffering. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you're describing a situation that I think you could have, you could have sat in a place of unnecessary suffering for decades right and and you have to choose I think something different mm -hmm. in order to experience joy in a really genuine way where you're not carrying this giant you know backpack of um, pain and anger mm -hmm. and sorrow around um, how does how do you translate that into coaching parents <laughs> and how do you even get to the point where this is what I want to do with my life as opposed to like I can I can imagine, I, I don't need a whole lot of explanation to get to the point where I know that you want to be the best mother you can be. Yes. That, that's an easy projection to get to, that you want to make it your life's work somehow to help other people achieve that. You'll have to help me with that. Help me make okay. that leap. Well, I think it's the most important job in the world, raising people who are going to be adults, thriving, um, you know, contributing to society. Yeah. And because things worked out so well for me, I would like to share that for other people, and I would like to help. And because I was given such help from people like you, from the village who it took to raise me, that I would like to just go back and give that back to other parents. And I've already seen the effects that I've had, that a small little shift in the way someone thinks or the way they approach their children has a complete change in the dynamic of their family and even in their own life. P parents have come back and told me that. So there's no greater job that I could do or share with the world than coaching parents. I'm so glad you do it because <laughs> I, I, I so agree with that. Um, and I, and I want to I wanna pause and just kind of reiterate what, what you just said. Um, sometimes when we come to therapy or when we come to coaching, 
um, we're reluctant because we think, oh, I'm going to have to change my whole life. Right. It's, you know, I, it's just too big a project, and I'm fine. I can make it through, or my family's, we're good enough. But sometimes the shift you have to make is small, right? It's just this little shift in thinking right. that that brings you to a place where you're more present and available and joyful, and you're connected with the people that you care about, and nowhere is it more important than it is in parenting? Right. And it can be a little shift. I love that idea. Right. And lots of people are fine, so go ahead, be fine. But if you want to be great and you want to grow and you want to learn and you you can just shift your behavior slightly. Right. If somebody said to you, go to the gym every day, you know what? And if you do this exercise five extra times, you're going to get the results you're looking for. Who wouldn't do it? Right. You're going to go from your arms looking okay to your arms looking great. So why not have that in your life, in your family from from here on out, you know, from now to you, you're going to be um, hopefully in a relationship with your children for 50 more years. Yes. So yeah, I don't think people think about that when their right. kids are young, especially when they're difficult or you know when you're in crisis with them in some way. Um, I think that's a really important point. Um, I sometimes, I typically come from the point of view that um, being fine isn't good enough, and that there's a mandate in parenting to be. Great. If great means that you're present enough, that your ego isn't isn't mm-hmm. you know kind of driving the day. Um, would you agree with that, or would you say you know no? There's nuance to it, and you know there there is an element. To, there there is a good enough parenting. So I agree with what you're saying that to be a great parent, to be connected and have your ego put aside is being a great parent. If you're saying being a great parent because my kid is the track star and gets all A's and got into Yale, no, that's all about your ego. So I'm talking about being a great family who's connected. Um, And sometimes that doesn't mean doing everything together. I mean, you know my story now and you know that my my hope was to have a connected family. Right. Just the, the summer I said to my kids we were going to a graduation party and everybody wanted to drive separately and I said no we're a family we need to go together and my 21 year old daughter said why and I said well because you know we could talk in the car it would give us an opportunity to be connected and she said I am so connected to you and we are so connected we don't need to drive in a car to prove it That is beautiful. <laughs> right. And so I thought, there's my ego, what I want, because I wanted this from how I grew up. And, you know, it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a terrible thing. No. I was saying I wanted to drive in the same car right. together. You know, but she was just saying, we're going to go separately. It's not a big deal, Mom. We are a connected family. And I thought, well, gosh, that's wonderful, isn't it? So I would imagine we both hear this from parents, this idea. Um, and, and I hear it a, a lot. I've heard it recently um, where... You know, well, we're not spending much time together, so I must be doing something wrong, you know, because you say I should be available, you know, they, right. they'll, they'll cite me. Um, and I always point out, like, oh, that does not mean spending, you know, the lion's share of your time together. If you're doing that, you might be doing it wrong. Right. You know, like, you know, as long as your child knows you're there, right. you don't need uh, the car ride together is great when you get it, but if you don't, Right. There, there's no there's no parenting uh, crime right. in missing that moment because you're going to get other ones. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, you know, I just heard Shafali talking about that, that her daughter um, actually went to Chipotle and someone said to her, well, you're connected. I mean, you let her go to Chipotle. Like, didn't she want to come home right after school and see you? And she said she's 13 years old. And, you know, I have a 21-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a, a 14-year-old. And, you know... 
we're the last people that they want to spend time with. And I think while it's sad and while I'm grieving that relationship, at the same time, it's wonderful that they are able to go out in the world and relate to other people on their own and that they find other relationships important. It means that we've done a, a you know, a decent job enough right. that they can go out and feel like they can, um, you know, be okay on their own. It's almost like attachment theory with a young child, right? Yes. Where, you know, they're attached enough to you that they can go out and explore the yes. world, right? And, it, and if you take that a few years into the future, you know, the more your child is out exploring the world, the more I think you can say the metric is you've done a pretty good job. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take advantage for a minute of your expertise as a, as a, as a parenting expert. So we're, we're, in this, we're in this age where we've got screens in front of us all mm-hmm. the time. Our children do. And they're the first generation to kind of grow up with either an iPhone or an iPad or a computer in front of them. Um, and there are a lot of parents who absolutely lament this stuff um, and think, you know, well, my, my child isn't connecting with other people. They're disconnected uh, as a parent. It's incumbent upon me to limit that um, or eliminate that from their lives altogether. What do you think of this whole screenager age? And mm-hmm. you know, is this is this the apocalypse for families? Well, I think it's serious, mm-hmm. and I think it's something that you definitely have to be conscientious about. Um, you don't want to, you know, it's a balance, and it's a really tough balance. You're walking a tightrope. We don't know some of the end results from some of the um, brain development that's going to occur for always looking at a screen. Um, we, we do know that we need to, you know, be vigilant, know what they're doing, but not be voyeurs. So, how, you know, that's a very tough balance. We, we do know that um, if there's a phone in front of someone, they're not connecting. Um, and we do know that it's here to stay. So, um, you know, given all those factors, I think that it's something to, to be conscientious about. I don't think that you should put too much power in it, that it shouldn't be a bribe tactic. It shouldn't be, well, you know, it's been 10 minutes, ding, the bell's done, you're, you're finished. You know, you, you really need to um, come up with parameters for a given child. Every child is different. Right. And so it's tough. It's really tough. Um, and so it's not an easy answer. I can't answer that in one quick you know, second, but I do think that not reading every single text, you know, that that's something that we wouldn't have time to do. If you have right. three kids who are texting, there's no way you could you could read every single one. And but I find that when parents try to do that, they they don't they misunderstand often, like even the jargon or the sarcasm and panic unnecessarily yes, sometimes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, it's a joke in my family, the way I text. So nobody can understand how I text. So I can't understand some of their jargon and what they mean by it. And there's code words. And who knows, you know, if you start to go down a downward spiral, you could think a whole thing was going on that wasn't. Um, so I think the conversation about it um, you know, my daughter a couple years ago was given some something from school that talked about the blue light and how you shouldn't have it right before you go to bed. And right. she was younger, so she took it really seriously. And then, you know, it does hijack your brain. So right now, now I have to say to her, remember when you taught me that the blue light isn't good to see before you go to bed? You know, you, you can't be looking at it last thing, or it's going to keep you awake longer than you intended. So it's constantly having that conversation. And, and being able to cite her, that's, yes. that's power right there. <laughs> Um, so, so your experiences and your training, um, 
how does it inform your parent, uh, your parenting? Your your kids are. It's not like you have three kids and they're all the same age, right? Yes. Uh, or they're all boys or they're all girls. Yes. Um, you've got some diversity within your family. How do you parent, given what you've been through and given what you've learned? Um, for me personally, I parent. Um, based on that child all the child you know all the children are different they have different strengths they have a different soul they have a different spirit they have different needs my 21 year old grew up in a different age um even technologically speaking than my 14 year old is growing up sure right so you know um all things change and and they're different kids um i think the connection to each of them is so so important and me having that open relationship um where you know, I'm not constantly asking them questions so that they feel berated by me, but that I'm available to them, for lack right. of a better word. And so, you care. You're, yes. Right. You care enough to ask the right questions. Yes, yes exactly. Without some massive agenda. Right. And yeah. I like to say um, in some of my parenting um, presentations that I think that in a competitive parenting world that we've all um, seen how p- parents have made their children into products. And they're people. They're not products. Our children are people first. They're not a, a product to be marketed. And so so, um, you know, sometimes you think you're doing things for the benefit of your child, but you're really not. You're going to the same dance class that everybody else is going, or you're doing something because it looks good on a college application. So you really need to constantly be asking yourself and being self-aware of what the reasons are that you're encouraging your child to remain in an activity or your what the reasons you're asking them to take an AP course that might be a little too tough for them or why you're asking them if they did their homework and what their grades are, you know, they're, they're really a person first. And that connection to them as a person is way more important than the product that you, you want them to be marketed. Ooh, Cara, I love this thought. This is, <laughs> it, it's exceptionally powerful. So parents out there of kids of any age, consider anything you're pressing your child to do or not to do and consider whether, whether this is a marketing Ploy mm-hmm. on your on your end, you know, and and um, and sometimes we're not aware that we're doing that until unless we really think about right. like you know, am I just trying to get a sticker on the back of the car, or right. you know, am I do I just want something to tell my parents? I mean, you know, right. uh, and um, boy, no small thing, right? Because if that's what's motivating us, our kids are wise, right. and they they can feel that 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 pressure comes from the wrong place in us. Exactly, oh. and. And it goes back to your theory about the ego, and the ego is tricky. Mm-hmm. You know, we can trick ourselves into thinking, oh, well, we're really doing it for Johnny. But right. no, we're really not. Right, right, right. He belongs in soccer. Yes. He wants to be in soccer. Yes. He'll thank me for this one day. Yes. Right, right, right. No, really, really um, critical thought here. Um, so if, if, you, um, if you were doing your TED Talk, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and there was a single message that you wanted to get across to parents, um, is there is there an overarching umbrella thought that you want to offer here as we as we wrap up? Yes, I think that the most important thing is to know yourself and to know where you're coming from to put the connection with your child at the forefront of every goal that you have in mind and to seek help if you need it. There's nothing wrong with asking for coaching or therapy. Um, in fact, we ask for so much help in our lives because they're so busy and most families have two working parents that um, I think the most important thing you could ask for is help in your parenting. 
um, you know, it, it's, it's not a sign of a failure. Um, it's just to help you to really get down to the nuts and bolts of what's important in your life and your family's life. And then therefore will ultimately result in a wonderful relationship with your children and, and your family. I like that. It's not a sign of failure. Um, one more question. How do I know that I either need or would benefit from a parent coach? Well, I think that's easy. I think every single parent would benefit from a parent coach. I love that. Including me, including yeah, you. Including I mean, me. everybody, right. everybody could benefit from yeah. a parent coach because um, sometimes it's very difficult to see things for yourself. And when you go for, um, to coaching, somebody else is kind of organizing um, what your goals are and what your strengths are and what your end result is. Well, Cara, I, I cannot thank you enough for, for being here today, for sharing your story. Um, I really appreciate, you know, uh, really, truly appreciate the, the generosity uh, of sharing that. And, um, and I think it gives us context for the great work that you clearly do and, and the vision that you have. Um, so thank you for being here. I hope you'll come back. Oh, I definitely will, John. I want to thank you for the work you do. I think it's so imperative. And thank you for your generosity for having me here. I couldn't appreciate it more. Oh, well, thank you. So so uh, how do we find you? If we've got somebody listening who is thinking, you know what, I need to, I want to, I want to contact Cara today. How do we find you? Well, you can go to my website. It is being redone, but I have one currently that's connected to um, another business. But if you go to carapollardparentcoach.com, or you can reach me at cara at carapollardparentcoach.com or 312-305-8218. Okay, so seek out Cara if you are a parent and and um, and get more of the wisdom that you've been hearing here today. Um, as always, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, liveleadplay.com, affiliated with uh, IPEC Coaching, and on WGN+. Um, if you or somebody you know would like to be a guest on this uh, podcast or if you have some thoughts about what we ought to be talking about, uh, drop me an email at johngduffy at drjohnduffy.com. Um, if you are a parent, there is a free parenting program. It's just a series of five videos for you to watch on my website at drjohnduffy.com. Um, as always, uh, I am so grateful for your time and energy on behalf of Cara and myself. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.